Hi everyone, we didn't publish an episode last week and we just wanted to reiterate a couple of things for those that might not follow us on Instagram. We held back an episode because we didn't want to be speaking over more important conversations that were happening last week and us releasing this week and going forward is not reflective of us thinking that those conversations are over. We want to continue to talk about literature that we find interesting and educational and the list of things to listen to and read that we posted on Instagram is a great place to start if you haven't already. Um, As always, if you have any questions or suggestions, please just drop us a message or an email and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hi, I'm Abby. And I'm Jess. And you're listening to Did The Reading Pod, the podcast where we did the reading so you don't have to. Uh, Today we are going to be talking about Good Morning Midnight by June Reese, And that was a Jessica Curry choice. So perhaps, Jessica, you would like to explain why it was your choice i would love to i didn't actually read this until quite recently i read it in like december mm-hmm. of last year because one of my tutors was like oh this would be really interesting to compare to like some other genery stuff we'd been looking at because i literally turned to this tutor and i was like i'm writing this essay on genery and she was like okay that's rough for you but so we focused on it and I really loved it I think it's just like written really beautifully and it's kind of I always like finding obviously like Jean Reese is a reasonably well-known name but then she has kind of slightly more obscure texts and I found it really interesting to kind of read her in a slightly different way to which like you normally think of her which is as in kind of like a wise like SOC uh like internal female psyche context but yes I think it is just an interesting book in and of itself but as we shall get on to later questions of like the canon and like what modernism is and like all of that stuff I think just ties really nicely with it mm. yes have you read it before no this is the first time I'd read it and I um obviously we both read White Scasso C for A level mm-hmm. um which I thought was incredible but for some I don't know what reason I've never got around to reading anything else that she has written so it's really really interesting to read this and as you say Having read Wide Sagasso Sea, which in itself is quite plot driven, even though obviously we are looking at that kind of analytical self and like seeing the self through others. And there are themes where you kind of uh, get that sense that, yeah, this is the same person writing this. But (laughs) um, it feels very different and like uh, a lot more, to put it in incredibly reductive terms, modernist. I guess, do you think? Yeah, no, because the the other book that I was comparing it to was Voyage in the Dark, because I feel like Voyage in the Dark is similarly slightly plot-driven in terms of what I mean by that is if someone was like, what happened in it, I could tell you, whereas with Good Morning Midnight, like, less so. Yeah. Um, not least That's going to be today's challenge, isn't it? Trying to put the plot together. Yeah, I might make you do that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but I think, because it's also, this is her... Fourth maybe novel. Not, yeah, it's not her final novel, because I think she gets onto things like Smile Please, but I may be pulling that from like a very rogue corner of the internet. But okay. it's definitely like her later one, and there's a progression, because there's also this whole um, critical theory where they're like, all her books are about the same woman, and you can like track her. That's interesting. Yeah, so there's like four texts, which Voyage in the Dark and Good Morning Midnight are two of. Mm-hmm. which I am not going to be able to produce for you. But yes, I just think it's interesting to look at in the context of like her own kind of literary career, if you like, mm-hmm. as well as of itself. Sure, that was a bit of an... Yeah, sure. 
Um, okay, perhaps it would be helpful at this point in time for me to attempt a summary. Yes. Okay, so we're following this woman called Sasha. Mm-hmm. And the narrative switches between her sort of her present day life, uh, where she is living in Paris, and a friend has funded her moving there. And basically, her day to day life kind of consists of moving from place to place, going for dinner, drinking too much, um, and sort of meeting men whom she kind of will share a drink with and then never see again. So it's quite a kind of um, temporary life, but that switches into also we're kind of having these moments of memory so kind of looking back at a moment where she was humiliated while working in a shop when she was younger and a moment when her husband and her traveled all over Europe for their honeymoon and he couldn't fund her and he told her she was awful in bed and the moment when she lost her child and stuff like that so there's and then what we're seeing in the present day are the echoes of those upsetting moments in her sense of shame, in her feeling that she's aging, she's unattractive, she doesn't fit in. Towards the end of the narrative, she finds this man called René, who has been kind of attempting to uh, both get her money and get into a romantic relationship with her. And she's been sort of saying, no, I'm for a number of reasons kind of anyway the kind of closing scene is that she agrees to to sleep with him and that is just the kind of closing line so that's where it ends up i can't really make it sound more fun than that because the whole thing is very melancholic i guess do you think that was like an all right summary i don't really know actually that was i was just sat here and i was like jesus christ someone who wrote like a like pretty long essay on this book six months ago <laughs> could, not have, could not have put it any better in fact would probably have put it quite a bit worse um i was like you know i was reading the wikipedia earlier because i was like i can just feel this coming up that jess is going to say you're on it and i was like <laughs> reading the wikipedia and i was like this is not good either like you know usually they give you a little bit of a like Help, effective yeah. cut down i was like this is a terrible summary i don't know where we go i had here. to i had to read it like the whole thing I had to read so many times because I was literally I'm still slightly baffled because also at the end I'm still unsure I think she sleeps with the man from next door the one with the weird the like two dressing gowns yeah I found it very difficult to tell because I think there are also quite a lot of moments where you can't tell whether the men are sort of aliding into one another and I sort of completely yeah I wondered whether it was I'd felt it was Renee because there had been that kind of draw up to it and it had felt like he was the man who was kind of the prominent no, I romantic know opportunity was... yeah but, um like as i say i'm willing to admit that that's probably incorrect no because i was rereading the final like two pages mm. and there's the bit where it's like he's there trying to basically be like oh sleep with me and she's like no and she puts her hand over her like face mm. but there's in between that and the next line there's like a possibility that he leaves because then she's like he opened the door and came in and closed it behind him or something like that right yeah Which, there's like the possibility that he leaves and is like replaced by the other man because then she makes some mention of a dressing gown i think there are a few really moments bad. where there are those kind of opportunities to switch though because i think as well there's that moment earlier where she kind of goes out for dinner and then she says oh i have drunk too much and i haven't eaten 
Yeah. And it seems he drives away. And then the next scene is her meeting with him to have been put in communication via him. Mm. But we don't see how that kind of gap gets closed or how she gets to that other location. Yeah. And I found that as well, like, obviously, I think that is part of the reason that I think I read a kind of article on it earlier and somebody saying, like, we're supposed to see the kind of root of a lot of her troubles and insecurities as the kind of experiences she's had with men when she's younger. And so I think almost there is a kind of elision between them where she's feeling that, I don't know, I guess in a kind of reductive way that all these men have been, you know, kind of contributing to this experience she's had. But does make it confusing, Jean. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I can't argue. Not least because she doesn't one. name quite a lot of them for quite a long time. Oh, I know. But then it does, like you say, it contributes to this general, like, he. Like, she talks a lot of it where she's like, oh, I didn't want him, like, touching my hair like that and I couldn't bear to be, like, pitied like that. Where you could very easily be like, oh, I can see this. This isn't about whoever is being referenced here, not least because we can't work out who it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yes, thank you for that lovely summary. It is. No trouble at all. I would nominate myself to offer it. And it's this Goodreads review, which describes the book as, and I quote, too stream of consciousness, too many ellipses dots, in brackets, my least favourite grammatical device of all time, depressing without any clear overarching takeaway. Thoughts? First of all, I love... How do you find these? You must spend so much time <laughs> like, trawling the darkest depths of Goodreads. Which, by the way, I still can't decide whether I like really like it or have decided I am obsessed it's useless. With it. Anyway. Like it's like the great democratising of literary credit. I mean, like all these people have gone for so long being like, yeah, I'm part of the canon. And then somebody on Goodreads is like, um, I hate it, first of all. And it's not funny. You're not smart. And you're like, God. Feels it's really exactly rough. what, like what's this face all these essays are really from the 1860s where men are like everyone's ruining art no one knows how to do it and no one should be a critic unless they are like me yeah good reason the worst nightmare (laughs) anyway small digression okay first of all i'm obsessed with the phrase to stream of consciousness i'm loving the idea that this can be like a spectrum which i suppose it can but still that's quite a I think the thing is, actually, I think it's such an interesting comment, because as you say, it's like, if it is a spectrum, this is probably only a midway point. You read (laughs) stuff like Ulysses, and you're like neck deep on page one. Do you know what I mean? Honestly. um, Very, very kind of bold of you to suggest that either of us have properly read Ulysses, but there you go. I know, I was like, Uh, you know when you read Ulysses, it's like, I have read the first 50 pages of Ulysses, and I was like, enough is enough. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I can understand, like, I have been, especially now that a lot of us have, like, more time on our hands, I've been, like, recommending books to people. And Mm. I feel like with a lot of, like, modernist ones, Mm. there is that kind of, like, it's not like an accessibility thing. You kind of have to retrain your brain slightly if all Mm. you've read is either realism or, like, very, um, very contemporary realist narrative styles. Yeah, sure. But... I think that's kind of, I don't know, I think that's the joy of it. Like, I think this book is technically more interesting than it is plot-wise. And I think that, like, the kind of, um, the formal elements of it are what makes it so, what was the word you used earlier? Melancholic. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Just 
I enjoy being quoted back. Yeah, it's like, it's like your friends. Anyway, um, what was the rest of it? Slash, what did you think? I, I'm, well, in terms of the sort of stream of consciousness thing, I do agree. I think I always find it really challenging to read because it's not the way I read. Like, I am quite a skim reader. Mm. And so it's a massively confusing style because then you get to the end of the paragraph and you're like, I don't actually know where we were. But... And then we got into the too many ellipses dots, which I am obsessed with again as a comment. My least favourite grammatical device of all time. Like, again, is he listing? Um, <laughs> I I thought as well the ellipses dots were just the right amount because you always knew when she was moving on, you know, for context, she uses it to split between her, uh, her memories, her past and mm. her present. But I think it also provides quite an interesting sense that they are on a kind of continuum Yes. Where, like, by having the dot, 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 we don't feel like well, it's a pause, but it's not like they are completely distinct. So there's this sense that, you know, they are constantly overlapping her past and her present. The kind of memory is a sort of interface into um, the present, but that they are still kind of in some way divided, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because actually, does that make I any sense? About it, I think it does. Because also, an example which I can now finally remember to back up the slightly rogue point I just made that I think <laughs> links to that is um, because it's written stream of consciousness and it's like her memories. It, you don't mm-hmm. even. I think it's like three quarters of the way through, two thirds of the way through that you find out that she, well, like, was married, and you actually get the story of like her and her husband and the baby. Yeah. So then that kind of like that setting up of it is like it's like obviously something that she is repressing or like trying to that obviously has like a massive impact because it's been like weeded through the first part of the narrative. Mm-hmm. But I think that element of it is what is so interesting and like compelling mm-hmm. in terms of the way it's structured and the way in which she like flows between the two very seamlessly in terms of present and past which is obviously like confusing I feel like with modernism you kind of just have to like lean into it a bit and be like I'm not gonna have every idea of what's going on here no and then try your best but I don't think that's having all you can that, be asked to do it's true try your best. I would like to say that I don't think it's a difficult book to read I think it's just you have to read it differently than you might have read a lot of other things for the next bit leading nicely on i wanted to talk about we've already we've already had names pop up like james joyce and others i vaguely mentioned the waves so like wolf um but i think in terms of the canon for Mm. want of a better word of modernism i think jean reese doesn't always like fit into it in a lot of criticism she's kind of like described as like being outside of or like ahead of her own time which is Mm. kind of like a i don't even know what that what does that mean we get on to that but i just want if you had any thoughts any prompts in terms of how is this i mean we've touched on stream of consciousness but like how is this a modernist text or like would you say it fits with other things or like perhaps we can bring in your favorite question of like comparisons uh i think it is a difficult question not least because modernism is actually not my uh, field of expertise not but, least because I also didn't really articulate a super clear question, but... <laughs> no, I get, I get what you're getting at, and I'm willing to give it 
what can only be described as a sort of slightly hack shot. Um, I think there are modernist elements insofar as, you know, we are getting that stream of consciousness moment. We are getting a kind of that like continuous focus on interiority, on focus on, on how the self becomes a kind of field for global political issue and change. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of uh, bits and bobs are incorporated. <laughs> However, kind of contrary to some of the other modernist texts I have, uh, if not read, interacted with emotionally, you know, we're only getting kind of single viewpoint even if those single viewpoints kind of transpire yeah. over time. I suppose, as I say, I mean, I would say there are, I think, like, ambiguity is kind of central to the modernist style and issue. Yeah. And I think while there are parts, we've talked about men being ambiguous, but I don't think there are necessarily always ambiguities in what she feels and how she, and what she's doing. I feel like it's kind of clearly mapped out herself and the things around her seem fluid because she's kind of unsure how she relates to the world but i don't think we get that same sense that she in herself is a kind of changing object do you know what i mean yeah i think the thing with this with this novel especially compared to her like earlier stuff is there is a sense that she's almost like past something and she's she's very like stuck i don't really know how else to put it like there's a um there's a whole issue with like time in this book like her imposition of routine on her day and just like all this stuff is really interesting the reason it's so kind of like depressing to be honest with you is because there's, <laughs> there's such like no hope <laughs> vibe to yeah, like, i do want to be a hater gene but it is depressing it is but it's like um it's it's affecting i should probably mm. have said in terms of okay. i do think it's like a fantastic novel that i really like it but it's like it's not exactly a laugh a minute laugh a minute no although there are some funny bits i think yeah anyway that's by the by in terms of what you were saying i think the the idea of like multiple perspectives like the kind of like head hopping way of writing is a very Mm -hmm. recognizable modernist trait again as someone who like doesn't read (laughs) much modernism but really are just weighing in on something we know yeah it's like like, oh i actually can't bring dickens into this one anyway um challenge but continues do, it's true i would challenge your lack of ambiguity in her it, i don't know i think it is would you challenge it i would challenge it i think there's um the kind of like confusion and the gaps that you have to fill in like in terms of narrative in terms of even just like emotion in some bits and in terms of just like basic information when you don't know who the man is that kind of thing i think but is. i feel like I'm going to weigh in. I feel like the the sort of yeah, like men issue is a kind of exteriority, how does she relate to the world thing. I think the emotional thing isn't so much about ambiguity as about not knowing how to read oneself. I feel like it it is like reductive to say that somebody can be like ambiguous because they don't know how they feel. I mean, I suppose, you know, we don't know what her motives are, but we do know what her actions are always. Yeah, yeah, I that, see that. yeah. No, that makes sense. Because I think it's also, um, it's not actually so much that you know everything as there's just like a kind of numbness to the whole narrative. Yeah, Yeah. and experience, which obviously, and I think it's conscious. Like Mm -hmm. it's, she's drinking or sleeping almost the entire time, if not the entire time. 
so mm-hmm. that kind of um it's almost like she's purposefully putting those barriers in place to stop either herself or the reader mm-hmm. having access to the kind of like complexities and interiorities that we're probably used to mm-hmm. with other modernist texts. I think also in terms of comparisons, like as we say, it is a sort of slightly genre straddling, if I may be allowed to use such a word, um, book. And I think you do see sort of echoes of stuff like for me, particularly that kind of past and present stuff we're talking about, like the interiority, exteriority stuff, really reminded me of Gatsby. Mm particularly that final line which I won't be able to quote in its exactitude but like the Rome back ceaselessly against the past I think is that kind of constant attempt to keep it at bay and that yeah. infringement which is you know changed her entire life perspective and her ability to interact with others is so central to this book yeah because it's also I always well I always forget and then when you actually like research them the kind mm. of time period is actually sometimes quite vague unless you know a lot about like national exhibitions that were going on at the time in Paris do you know what I mean so then I think it's interesting to remember like this is like an interwar period it's uh, 1939 I'm going to say 36 39 I think we can spend a lot of time guessing I just throw out some more numbers So maybe I will do my next point, which was, let's talk about being looked at. And um, I put this in because not only do I want to remind everyone who listens to this podcast that I have read some Sartre and Foucault, and in case anyone forgot about it, I did do that once, and um, it was very emotionally trying. So physically murder you. Yeah, so of course, um, I'd just like everyone to recall that that did happen on one occasion. No, but actually the reason I wanted to bring it in was because I read an interesting essay about shame this morning on shame and this book. We were talking about the kind of constant feeling of worrying about how you're being perceived and being ill-perceived, but also this kind of internalisation of the idea that you are constantly being negatively perceived by others even if that isn't necessarily the case the kind of feeling of all eyes on you mm-hmm. and I kind of thought um leading back from uh John Berger's ways of seeing which I've also read if anyone's interested read a couple of pieces of theory in my time those are three of them most of them and yeah I mean there isn't a question there but like thoughts <laughs> <laughs> um sorry I feel like my slightly rogue style of question asking has now filtered through now filtered through (laughs) no I think this is a really interesting point actually that I hadn't thought that much about in reference to this particular book it's one of those uh, a very modernist element of it just to like come back to that again is that actually if you wrote down a like storyboard way what actually happens in this book it would be very very short because the Mm. majority of it is her internally being like oh I think that waiter is looking at me or oh my goodness, that man asked the waiter, like, where's a nice hotel near here that I can take this woman? He's, I'm never going to be able to come back into this cafe. But then she comes back into the cafe. And then there's that bit where she's um, thinking and she's like, oh, that girl is like giggling at me. And she's doing this, that and the other. And I think it is, it's a very, like we said in reference to last week, it is a very 
female thing but it also it is just like quite it's just an anxious thing isn't it it's a um it's like a catastrophizing thing but what did you why did you bring this one up what were your thoughts I think what is like interesting about it is this kind of constant sense that all eyes are on her is do we ever actually see it actualized and then the person who wrote this essay who I will look up the name of and link it in our um oh actually no I've got it up here so I will get their name here it's Erica L Johnson and the essay is called Haunted Effective Memory and Jean Reese's Good Morning Midnight so you should read it um if you're interested in this but the point they were making was that we in ourselves become part of this voyeuristic audience where Sasha is saying I feel like I'm constantly being watched and everyone is wondering what's wrong with her even if that is not necessarily the case, the fact that she is claiming that there's this perception forces us to wonder how is she acting? Because we've only got that interior perspective, like what is she doing physically or what? how is she being perceived physically? Because I mean, again, that's a really important bit where she always says like, oh, I look awful, everyone must like think she's a hag, but we yeah. like never see that. And so we're kind of constantly, again, coming into this bit where we're like, what would it look like to look at her? And are we contributing to that kind of culture of shame and feeling watched by reading the book and interacting with her in that way? Yeah, no, that's really interesting. It's like, um, that's just reminded me, there's, have you read The Woman in White? No, I haven't, but there's this uh, feel amazing... free to bring Victoriana into it. Oh, piss off. <laughs> I lost myself. There's this really interesting bit where um, for like hundreds of pages, the narrative has been taken over by Marion and she's been writing this diary. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, she, in a very Victorian way, like catches a cold, basically, because she's been outside eavesdropping in the rain. Me. And then her narrative kind of like tapers off and she collapses. And then the narrative goes, oh, and here in her diary appears a postscript and it prints it out for you. And it's... um basically the villain of the text Fosco being like oh these pages have been amazing to read I've loved it and obviously it's like terrifying because he's really horrible and has been like basically plotting a bunch of people's deaths but essentially the kind of like critical element of this is that you are shocked and kind of scared by it but you've been doing exactly the same thing as him you've been spending all that time reading her narrative and enjoying it and being shocked by it and passing thought on it or whatever and essentially he's almost been just like reading over your shoulder or like doing the same thing but no I think that's really interesting because also Sasha spends literally the entire novel I think because also this is the bit where I think her perception of herself just like aesthetically Mm -hmm. comes into it like um there's pages where she talks about like having her hair dyed Mm-hmm. Um, me <laughs> it's true it's like oh this blonde is very difficult to do yeah yeah like, oh, but also I think it, it, what's interesting is we become part of this like layering like you know that moment where she's looking at the lady in the shop and the lady removes her hat and says I'm looking for a hairpiece like yeah. for to something for something to put in my hair rather and she goes oh my god it's so embarrassing like this lady was basically bald imagine doing that in front of everyone else like just watching her I felt embarrassed and then we've got this layering where we're kind of are we supposed to relate to the bald lady and sort of that moment of trying to 
find pleasure in life and find things that you enjoy even at the detriment of other people's feelings of comfort or are we again becoming a double voyeur and we're supposed to view Sasha as bitter and in a way get a sense of a kind of watching ourselves seeing like oh yeah we're actually that bitter person who's unable to allow other people the little pleasures they have in life by being those kind of constant vision and constant watching eyes constant judgment yeah I think so I don't know what the what the answer is but I think thank you um I think it is affected by the fact that at least um from a kind of from a female perspective you end the text feeling kind of um like pity but she talks explicitly and she's like I don't want to be pitied yeah when that man is like and is it that bit where she's talking about like joking about having not eaten for three weeks? Yeah, I can't remember. Mm, but, maybe, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that also contributes to the not just like temporally, but more socioculturally, and also in like a class sense, um, just the like being stuck element of the whole text. Yeah, and I guess as well, like if we're talking about that kind of ending and pity and stuff, like I think there is a really interesting thing between kind of consuming in terms of the fact that she's kind of a constant consumer, both of other people, of the way in which they, she's always looking out for how other people are seeing her, mm-hmm. but she's a kind of, a, she's a capital consumer as well, obviously. And she worries about herself being consumed so often. That is what dominates the text, that even though she's kind of constantly in those same acts of judgment, she feels like other people's judgment completely flattens her ability to live her life. And we feel that because it is a very like repressive narrative. And then for her to finally get to the end and accept the other, like by agreeing to have sex with him becomes a kind of, I suppose, a melding of those sort of interior exteriority issues. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think because the, the, final for our listeners the final sentence is just yes 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 with a bunch of dashes between them um as she kind of like pulls him down onto the bed i think yes. um and just in terms of like some kind of gcse level analysis i think that's genuinely one of the first and only times we have like some active <laughs> um it's like the only instance in which she's like actively doing something rather than just like refusing or like agreeing to Mm -hmm. another person yeah and she doing something positively yeah and actually like reaching for something for our last point i thought we would try and make things slightly more light-hearted which is arguably difficult with this book but i was wondering abby if you could hash out some ideas with me as to what Sasha's tour guides of London and or Paris would look like. I feel like her tours would be incredibly challenging for her to provide because she'd be like, this is a cafe. Um, I no longer go here. Um, It's not au fait. Uh, You can't go here either. But it would just be, you'd be going around and she'd be like, I'm, we we can't go here either. And you'd be like, please, I'm just dying for a coffee right now. (laughs) Like no, watch. She'd be like, "Oh, here's a lovely cafe." And she'd be like, "Oh no, this is the one with the horrible man again." Mm. There's that bit where she confuses the two cafes, and she's like, "Oh, I'll make it. I'll do it properly tomorrow." Yeah, you're like, "Oh, shit, I did it." I was supposed to be going there, or like going around. 
<laughs> going around hotels and just being like, no, we can't actually stay here. And you'd be like, please, it's 11pm. Like, can we stay somewhere, Sasha? Uh, I was just going to say, there's not actually much mention of London, which is why I was hesitant to put it in. But she does just talk about the amount of time she references. She's like, so much per week that she was getting. Yeah. Plus a rim off the Gray's Inn Road. Road, yeah. Um, nice location. Well, it is now. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm just like, that's great real estate. Like... <laughs> uh, but I think I kind of put this in because in a slightly roundabout way, I she doesn't know anything about either city very much, like at all. Mm-hmm. And I think, or at least you get the impression that the cities are like hostile and mm-hmm. not exactly welcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like the way she navigates it or like how she might <laughs> try and share that with a unknowing tour group. Yeah. Um, was kind of the thing I was getting at in terms of there would be a large proportion of it of her taking you around to cafes and she's like, I'm sorry, lads, these are the only establishments that I frequent. I think um, also it would be literally like, and I will bring this in because you edited it out of the last podcast, but it was like when I put together my um, itinerary and every other thing on the itinerary was like another place we had to go for food and you were like, do we need to plan that? And I was like, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> this is the thing, I don't think it would be very well planned and that would no. strike fear into our hearts. Yeah, of course. We'd be like, are you making the most of your time in Paris? <laughs> I mean, um, we'd be like, we've only allocated between 3 and 4pm for this guide, <laughs> Sasha. And this seems to be a bit wandery. It's true. <laughs> I do think it's interesting as well what you were saying about the kind of like, how she interacts with the metropolitan space. And I think there is a constant sense where she's like, I'm a bit of an intruder here, even though she's obviously got so much history with it, being mm. such an outsider. I think it's a really interesting like perspective on city living. I think a lot of people feel like that in cities, even if you've lived there a while. Or is that just... Me? No, I think it's, it's true. Like, I don't want to... I feel like I'm very dangerously close to being like, and in my essay, because I wrote it... No, do life. it. Say and in your essay. And in my essay on, what the fuck was the title? Urban Temporality. There you go. Which I did not come up with myself. I'd like to stress. Point out right now. There was this whole idea where it was Sasha and Anna, who's the protagonist in A Voyage in the Dark. Both of them kind of exist in cities and just like urban spaces Mm -hmm. that are not made for them, quite literally. Mm -hmm. And they're not welcoming to them. And there's still the slightly Victorian element that it's like dangerous to be outside by themselves and mm-hmm. the judgment that gets passed on them by other people when they want to like rent a room and all of this stuff because they're like single women. Yeah. Because <laughs> also, like you say, that navigation of or like inability to navigate like a city is not a specific issue to this text. Like, I think that's something that, I don't know, I don't think in London is super easy, for example, or like, I don't... The bus routes? The the bus routes? I don't get them. Well, 
I think the bus routes around you were more complex. Mine was like, I love the bus. And it was like, it's because you get on one and it takes you from your home to your uni. Anyway. Truly fear the bus. Uh, Well, it was uh, delightful to speak to you, Jessica. Perhaps before we go, you would like to explain to the listeners uh, (laughs) our social media. Um, Yes, you can find us at Did The Reading Pod on all platforms. So that's Twitter and Instagram. And you can also follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review wherever you listen. Fabulous. All right. I'll see you next week. Yes. And thank you for listening. Thank you.